even though I was only uh, eight years old, I remember the day very well. Uh, the weather was warm and perfect. It was July 1978, and the queen was coming to town, Saskatoon. Yes, uh, the queen, Elizabeth II. Uh, she's uh, now 92 years old, uh, or should I say of more mature status. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, Pastor Ron, I thought the reason why we repeated three things three times is that those of more mature status would uh, not, you know, forget after the second. <laughs> <laughs> Queen Elizabeth is 92. She was born on April 1st. Uh, 93 years ago. This Easter Sunday, the queen will be 93. Did you know that? Amazing. Back then, she was 52, and now being almost of more mature status, I thought she was really, really young. <laughs> 52 years old, 1978. And Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, was there too, of course, but who really cares about him? Or Prince Edward, <laughs> uh, Earl of Wessex. I was there to see the queen. Royalty. I even remember where I was standing. Right across the street from the brand new Market Mall on Preston Avenue on the east, east side of Saskatoon. You know, the, uh, the amount of preparation that goes into uh, a royal visit is quite astounding. It's quite astounding. It's, it's, it's a huge amount of preparation that goes into seeing somebody for a moment as they go by on the back of a motorcade I don't even know how to do the wave, but doing one of those, right? <laughs> you know, in, in, a couple of years ago, 2016, Prince William and his wife, Kate, Catherine, actually Duchess of Cambridge, and their children, Prince George and Princess Charlotte, visited British Columbia and the Yukon. I did not see them. But here's a bit of a breakdown of what it takes to bring royalty to town. BC's cost alone, British Columbia, was uh, to the tune of... $613,363.93. That's just British Columbia. So out of that, if you want to break it down, there's a huge amount of administration that goes into making one of these royal visits happen. Admin services and supplies came to $102,260. Hospitality, to put them up for seven nights uh, in Victoria, cost uh, $53,224. Media operations and services was 46,134. Travel was 74,186. Uh, oh no, hospitality, that's outside of their accommodation. The room cost $41,798. The hospitality was on top of that. And of course, when royalty visits, you give them gifts. So protocol gifts, they call it, came to $3,344. Security? Security was the big bill. So get this. BC's portion outside of policing, this is just extra security, was $196,129. And the RCMP bill from the government of Canada alone was approximately $2 million. Just over, actually. An eight-day total to bring royalty to town, $2.6 million just for British Columbia. The Yukon had their own costs. That's some serious preparation for a royal visit. You know, just over 
2,000 years ago, royalty came to town. A king. His name was Jesus, is Jesus. He came to Jerusalem and preparations were made. So let's look at some of those preparations in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 28 through 40. What went into this royal visit when King Jesus came to town? And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent the very stones would cry out. This morning as we go through this passage, we're going to take a closer look at what Jesus' followers did to prepare the way for him, their king. And as we do so, we're going to pause at different points and I want to ask the question, how can we, how can I best prepare the way for King Jesus today? If Canadian and British Columbia taxpayers can dish out 2.6 million and all of the effort that goes with that kind of money to profile royalty from an earthly kingdom for eight days, there has to be something we can do to profile the king of kings whose kingdom is a heavenly eternal one. Don't you think? (laughs) So what can we do? How can we best prepare the way for King Jesus. I'm going to talk about four ways we can do this this morning. The first of all is we can prepare the way for King Jesus with our possessions, with the things that he has given us. There are four different ways that people gave to pave the way for Jesus' entrance to Jerusalem so that he could accomplish the will of his father by doing the one thing that he came to earth for. The one thing that motivated him in his great love for us was to go to the cross that he might die for our sin, that he might redeem us, that we would be atoned for. And there are four ways that we can pave the way for Jesus' ongoing work of salvation in our world with our possessions. The first one is this, with our competencies, with our competencies. Didn't know how else to say this, but you know me, I like alliteration, and so they're all gonna start with C. The four ways are all going to start with P because my brain works that way and they're easy to remember. Verses 28 through 30. 
And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. Before we get to the colt, we have to understand that Jesus appointed two of his disciples to go. He gifted them with the ability to administrate what was needed in order for him to enter Jerusalem. These two disciples, obviously, we don't know who they are, but Jesus chose them because he trusted that they would do a good job in following his orders and his direction to go get that cold. They had a gift of leadership. They had a gift of administration. They knew how to put a plan together. And Jesus said to them, go. There is a very strong great commission language here. Matthew 28 and Acts chapter one. Go. What are you waiting for? Go. This is what I want you to do. I want you to prepare the way for my entrance to Jerusalem where I will accomplish the greatest work that mankind has ever seen and I need you to go. I need you to use what I've gifted you with to go make this happen so that I can enter Jerusalem appropriately. That's the first thing. The second possession that he gave were colts, verse, a colt, but to us colts. Verse 31, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it, the colt, you shall say this. Uh, Sorry, lost my spot here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this. The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. I love that phrase. The Lord has need of it. And you know what? When, when the owners of the colt heard that, the Lord has need of it, you, you don't see in this text or in any of the gospels or anywhere else in scripture, the owners arguing, well, I, you know, I kind of need that colt. It's a little bit important to me right now. I mean, it's, 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 it's my livelihood. This foal, this donkey and its, and its foal are, are what I use for work. Yeah, I, you know, can't do that. Sorry. Go to the neighbor. Maybe they'll help you out. No hesitation. They heard the words, the Lord has need of it. And they let him have the colt. No argument. Did you notice that the colts, it says that the colts owners, plural, they. I, I, think, I think that's a significant uh, point in the, in the passage because to me, um, this colt, because it was a beast of burden and it was used for work, was probably a fairly valuable commodity. One that maybe the average landowner couldn't afford by him or herself. And so there was multiple owners of this cult. It was a joint work venture. I remember as a child, my dad brought me along one time to my uncle's farm, which was just one mile from us across the field on the other side of the grid (laughs) in Saskatchewan. And uh, uh, I I can't remember exactly what I was doing. I was just playing off in the corner while my dad 
and his two brothers, my uncles, who farmed together, had this discussion, discussion which I, rem- I don't remember any details of the discussion other than it was a little awkward. I think at times it got a little heated, not out of control, but what they were trying to do was, was sort out who would get uh, a fairly new uh, John Deere 4430 tractor, <laughs> which they had used... Uh, as they farmed the six quarters of land together that my grandpa had left them to farm. But, but the three brothers decided to go their own way and do their own thing, and they split it up two quarters each. And it turns out my dad got the tractor. <laughs> I don't know how he did it, other than I think he's the oldest. And they just deferred to him, and he, he bought them out. But they shared it for the work, because at the time it was something that the three of them couldn't afford individually. They had to go together to make this happen. And I, and I think this was the same situation with this cold. The third possession that the Lord has need of um, as we prepare the way for his, for people to know about his greatest work is our cloak. Verses 35 through 36, and they brought it to Jesus, the colt, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Like, I mean, who does that? Who takes off their jacket and just throws it on the road so it can be stamped, you know, trampled by a donkey? You know, most people don't have the luxury of owning an expensive colt, although in this area today, a lot of people do. But what almost all people have is at least a, a cloak. I have a jacket. A, a symbol of uh, one of our most basic needs being met and to keep warm. But believe it or not, there are those among us who do not even have that. And even that's not an excuse to not give, to prepare the way for the Lord. Because the fourth thing that we see is cut branches. Luke does not mention the branches of palm trees in his gospel, but the other three gospel writers do, Matthew, Mark, and John. In fact, in the gospel of John, uh, he specifically singles out only the branches of the palm trees. And he doesn't mention anything else. Well, he does mention the colt, but not the cloaks. And I don't know what the significance of the palm tree branch is, other than within the framework of this discussion this morning, it was a common commodity that everyone had access to. It was free. All you had to do was put in a little effort to hack off a branch. And as Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, the crowds cut off the ones who didn't have the cold, the ones who didn't have cloaks, they cut off palm branches and they waved them and they shouted Hosanna, which means savior. They recognized Jesus as somebody different, unique, one who would liberate people, set them free, save them, redeem them, just not in the way that they thought. They waved these palm branches and they laid them on the road as Jesus rode. That path to the cross into Jerusalem on the back of a colt, a foal of a donkey, which had never yet been written. All that was required was a little effort to hack off a branch. 
What do you have to give this morning so that others can experience Jesus? Rich or poor, lots or little, or maybe even nothing. Either you have or you can find something that Jesus has need of so that others can experience him. See, the reality is, is that whatever we have all belongs to him anyway. And he wants us to use it for his glory so that others can see the Savior. How do you respond this morning to the statement, the Lord has need of it? The Lord has need of it. What do you have that he needs? 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, or verse 3 says this, for, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. When Jesus told his two disciples to go, I think for them it was a joy to obey the command of their Savior, not fully understanding, but knowing that he was entering Jerusalem for a very special reason. On, uh, on Wednesday morning, um, I had breakfast with a, a couple of men from our church, and we were we were discussing some some issues that uh, uh, that that one of the guys was struggling with a little bit, and I, and I love discussions like that. It's good. It's a good time to learn from Jesus and to sharpen each other and to grow and be discipled. And so there were some issues around some hurt and some forgiveness kind of stuff, and so we talked through that. And then and then the the, the second guy said like unsolicited, said, you know, the issue that I struggled with almost all my life was ang- is anxiety about money. I'm always anxious about having enough. But he said, you know what? That completely went away when I started, well, he used the words tithing, but when he started giving, he said, when I started giving first in the month and regularly, my anxiety about having enough completely disappeared. And, and the other guy said, you know what? That's, that's me too. I have the same story. That's me. And I was praising God that, uh, that there was this testimony of God's grace through giving and that it, it actually, uh, it wasn't burdensome. It was a joy realizing that, hey, I don't have to worry. God's got me covered. God's got my back. But the issue of giving that, that God wants our possessions is first an issue of the heart. Until he has our hearts, um, everything else will just be going through the motions. It'll be legalistic. Uh, to quote Augustus' top lady, he said, when Christ entered into Jerusalem, the people spread garments in the way. And when he enters into our hearts, we pull off our own righteousness and not only lay it under Christ's feet, but even trample upon it ourselves. You see, we have nothing in and of ourselves that makes us right with God. Giving, using the competencies or the spiritual gifts or the skills or the abilities or whatever you want to call it, giving that, giving our cold, giving our cloak, even cutting off branches does not put us in right standing with God. Those are all things that are just done legalistically and out of obligation if God first doesn't have our heart. And that's the reason why he came to Jerusalem to begin with, that he had his sight set on Jerusalem where he would go to the cross, where he would shed his own blood for our sin, knowing that we cannot make ourselves right. 
And so as we throw off any semblance of righteousness that we might have, we cast it on the ground for Jesus to ride upon. He, because when he becomes king of our lives and we trust in his finished work of salvation on the cross, that's what he wants first. He wants our hearts. And I would encourage you this morning, if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, the ones that Jesus asked to give the colt, to give the cloaks, the ones that would cut branches. If you're not a disciple of Jesus already, I encourage you this morning, give him your heart. That's the greatest message of Easter that you could hear, and that is to trust him with your salvation in the finished work of Jesus on the Christ, the fact that he shed his blood to forgive you, to show his mercy to you. Does Jesus have your heart this morning? Because when he does, giving is easy. It's a joy, not a burden. Whether it be your competency, your cold, your cloak, your cut branches, or even your quilt. Well, where did that come from? Did you happen to notice this morning there's a bunch of quilts on the, on the, on the room dividers? <laughs> so there's this group that is uh, among us now at Central, and they started out at Harrison Gospel Chapel, and uh, they have this ongoing ministry of what they give to the Lord. And so Joan is going to come and talk to us a little bit this morning, Joan Kowalenko, about these quilts. There you are with the sea. Comforters. Comforters, yes. I work with a, a group, sorry, I work with a group that makes uh, quilts or blankets or comforters for MCC, which is Mennonite Central Committee. We're able to buy sturdy backing from MCC, as well as the batting that goes inside. We are in need of used quilts, or need of new, start again. We are in need of used sheets for added warmth in the middle of the blankets. The sheets can be used, torn, stained, doesn't matter, as long as they are clean. We can also use newer material for the tops. This can be new sheets, drapery material, dressmaking scraps. You can see samples of our work hanging here. Some of the pieces are big, some are small. We try to make good quality blankets that will bring warmth and comfort to a family at the time of need or disaster somewhere in the world. Each blanket is sent out with our love and prayers that it will help a needy family. Some of the recent blankets have been sent to Jordan and the Ukraine in the name of Christ. We have heard stories of how well received the blankets are. In fact, in some places, they actually call them Mennonites. The blanket is known as a Mennonite. <laughs> they become treasured possessions. Our group makes over 150 blankets a year, and we are always in need of material. Over 3,700 3, blankets were sent out of British Columbia last year. Thank you for considering sending us some of your material. New, used, doesn't matter, as long as it can be turned into a quilt. Thank you for uh, sharing with us. You can even bring them to church and uh, we'll gather them up here. Thank you. Thank, thanks, Joan. I thought it was a, a great way to weave this ministry that these ladies have into this message because even making a quilt or a comforter, I like the alliteration, the C, 
is something that can point people and prepare the way for King Jesus in their lives at a time when they're in great need. Because quite often these quilts are given to people in, in times of war, uh, famine, earthquakes, that kind of thing, when a comforter provides an amazing, literally, comfort and, and sense of security and warmth, knowing that was given in the name of Christ and that there's people praying for them as they receive them. That's awesome. Thanks, Joan. The second thing that God wants us uh, to prepare the way for him is our praise. Uh, verses 37 to 38. As he was drawing near, already on the way to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. His disciples began to rejoice and to praise God, to give him glory. You know, the Westminster uh, Catechism says this, the very first thing, question one, what is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is, number one, to glorify God, and secondly, to enjoy him forever. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says this, so whether you eat, whether you eat or drink, and I say amen to that because I like doing both. <laughs> so, <laughs> so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, even ride a motorcycle, I think. Amen. amen. Yeah. <laughs> whether you farm, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a student, whether you mop floors, or set up chairs, or rescue people with search and rescue, or whatever it is you do, do it all to the glory of God. And in this way, we prepare people to see King Jesus, to meet him, to experience what he has done for them and what he wants to do for them, that he will rescue them. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, for for, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Ephesians chapter one, verses 11 through 14, it'll be on the screen, it says this. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. This is what God has given us. He's given us an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Does your life, do your words, your actions, your work, in the, in the lineup, the long lineup at the grocery store, at the restaurant as someone is serving you, at school, towards your employer, towards your employee, does everything about your life glorify God and point people to Jesus? Are you living it for his praise and his glory? Because as we do those things, it will pave the way for royalty. It'll pave the way for King Jesus to do the kind of work in people's lives that he wants to do, the work of redeeming them and setting them free and forgiving them. And linked to our praise is the third thing that we can do to prepare the way for a royal visit, and that is with our proclamation. And I've separated the two because the scripture says this, and his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. This means 
that they had a testimony to share. They had witnessed things either in their own lives or in the lives of other people, the mighty works that they had seen God do. And they just told people about it. Being a witness is actually quite easy. All you have to do is to tell or recount what you saw and what you heard. And we tend to overcomplicate this. We overcomplicate it. The best way that you can prepare the way for Jesus to work in people's hearts is just to tell people what you've seen him do in your life and what you've seen him do in the lives of people around you. Uh, we, we do this on a, on a weekly basis uh, as a staff at Central. We call it Evidences of God's Grace. And our, our staff is getting larger and now we've actually shrunk our time. We have to share really quickly. We always share. Every person gets to share three things really fast at staff meeting every week. This is something to celebrate. This is an evidence of God's grace I saw in my own life, that I saw in the, in the life of somebody that I minister to, that I see at church, that I see in the community as believers, as Christians, do what God is asking them to do. So we celebrate, then we always share one thing we should know, and then we share one thing to pray for. It's an amazing time. And then we pray. We spend a lot of time praying. We pray for you. And I want to hear the things that God is doing in your life. And I want you to be able to tell others about what God is doing in your life because that brings him glory. And it paves the way for King Jesus to do what only he can do. Um, last month, when Marcy and I had uh, a time of need, it was, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, there, was, there was a morning uh, when, when uh, I'm not going to share too much detail, but there was a morning when we had sig- significant need and we needed, we, we literally were fully 100% dependent on God to move. Circumstances out of our control that all we could do was pray. And as we're in this situation, I felt my phone uh, vibrate and I pulled it out and I got, I got a text message from a, a guy who actually attends our church in Chilliwack at our Chilliwack campus. His name is Norm. And he said, uh, he just said, uh, man, I was going to pull up the text message and read a few word for word, but basically it was very short. And he said, hey, Eldon, hope everything is okay. Just thinking about you today. And then he just said, prayer partner with an exclamation mark. And I went, what is that all about? Well, I knew what that was all about. God, at that specific moment, I hadn't talked to him since November. And on that particular morning, when we needed God to move, I get this text, and all he said was prayer partner. So I took him out for breakfast a couple of days later, and I said, hey, Norm, like, what was going on that morning? He says, I don't know. He goes, he goes, uh, Irene and I, we pray for the church, and we pray for all of the pastors every day. And I said, well, that's amazing. Thank you, because we need it. But he said, we, we do that. We start our day with prayer. But he said, at precisely that time, and his text message came in at 10.57 a.m. I, ha- I looked at it this morning. He said, at exactly that time, he said, the Lord moved in my heart, and I know I needed to pray for you. I just, I just knew something was going on. I needed to pray for you. That, friends, <laughs> is a proclamation, an evidence of God's grace 
With a loud voice, they praised and rejoiced God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. That's not a coincidence, friends. That is a mighty work of God. A text message and prayer is a mighty work of God. And I encourage people to drop the word coincidence from their vocabulary and luck. God does things for a purpose, for a reason, even if we consider them bad things. God always does things with purpose and with reason. And these are miracles, they're not luck. And we need to give him praise for those. Because when we do that, it brings glory to him and it paves the way for his visitation to other people who need his saving grace. And you know what it says, the scripture says they did this with a loud voice, with a loud voice, so that it's heard. Loud as in people should know, not People should be offended, all right? We don't do this obnoxiously. We'll like go up to people with a really loud voice and say, let me tell you something. <laughs> with a loud voice means they get the clear message that this was God. We don't unnecessarily offend people and be obnoxious, but we do tell them what God has done in our lives. And you know what? Sometimes, oftentimes, our actions speak louder than words, but our words are still necessary. Romans chapter 10, Paul wrote this. He said, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? In other translations, it says, unless someone proclaims Christ, unless someone preaches Christ, it just simply means to tell them about Jesus. Number four, how can we prepare the way for King Jesus with our possessions, with our praise, with our proclamation, and with our persistence? With our persistence. And I want to close and encourage you with this. Verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. What do we do when we meet resistance, when we experience pushback or even persecution for our faith? The temptation is to remain silent, right? To clam up, to say nothing. But God wants us to speak up even when, and I would say especially when, there is pushback and opposition. And, and you know, in saying that, I, I encourage you, I encourage us to pray for um, our newest campus at Central, Lake Arrow. They will be launching uh, a, a full launch. They've already been meeting a couple of weeks, doing soft launching with their base team and those who are the, the invested core who are going to be serving faithfully week after week. But this coming Saturday night is the launch where people from the entire community are invited. And two weeks ago, the team, before their first soft launch, they went out into the community and they handed out invitations. And there was some celebrating where people go, wow, this is great. Welcome to town. We'll see you at church. Other people, eh, not so much. Let's just say there's a reason why some people live off the grid. They don't want to be bothered.
Jesus said, if these stones were silent, we do this respectfully, but if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. My encouragement to you this morning is don't let the stones cry out. Don't let the stones cry out. God will resort to that if he has to. He will use inanimate objects to declare his praise and his glory. He already does. When you look outside and you see the mountains, they are declaring the praise and the glory and the majesty of God. But he needs our mouth. He needs us to tell people specifically about the saving grace and work of Jesus Christ. Don't let the stones cry out. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, just a few chapters before this, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. In other words, we need to speak up. We need to speak up. Psalm 31 verse 4, you know, I understand there's fear and trepidation around being a witness for Jesus. Again, we, I said we overcomplicate this. To be a witness, to give testimony about God's work is simply just to tell people what he's done and who he is. The greatest thing that he's done is he went to the cross and he was raised from the dead. And so what did David do when he experienced persecution, pushback and giving glory to God? He said, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all of you who wait for the Lord. That's my encouragement to you today. Be strong, let your heart take courage. The Lord has got your back. But we're fickle, right? We capitulate back and forth. We're like the crowds who in one moment cried Hosanna and the next week they cried crucify him. That's the human heart. We worship Jesus as King, capital K in one moment and so easily our perception of King, small K in the next. You know, I'll worship Jesus, I'll love him, I'll even speak for him until my marriage ends or until I lose my job or as long as my kids are doing okay. Only up until my life really starts falling apart or it gets too hard. May God help us to persistently praise and proclaim him, even in, especially in the midst of problems and the midst of persecution. So as we wrap up, did you notice that I skipped over a significant part of the passage, probably the most important part, I want to take you all the way back to the very first verse, 28. And when he had said these things, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So whenever you see something like that in scripture, you have to ask, what were these things? What were these things he said? And where was he saying them from? I mean, he wasn't yet in Jerusalem, so where was he? What was he talking about? Okay, glad you asked. Let's go to Luke chapter 19, verse one. Let's back up all the way to verse one, okay? Set the context a little bit here. 
By the way, the mighty works that the disciples praised and glorified God for were all of the things that they had seen Jesus do in their lifetime, the three short years that they were with him. The most significant was the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which had happened just prior to this, where Jesus said, hey, you know what? He who believes in me, even though he dies, he's going to live. That's the most significant thing that they were giving praise to God for. If someone believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. Verse 19, he entered Jericho and he was passing through. He was just passing through. He had his sight sets on Jerusalem where he would go to the cross. But as he was passing through, behold, there was this man named Zacchaeus. Hmm, tax collector. If you've been around church for a while, you know the story. If you haven't, I'd encourage you to read all of Luke 19 this afternoon because it's awesome. Zacchaeus was a man who was greedy. He was wealthy and he didn't care about others at all. But when he met Jesus, Jesus gripped his heart and he started to give his wealth away so that others could see the amazing work of God in his life and what he would do in Jerusalem. And not only did he loosen the grip on money in his own life and start to give of his possessions, he said, you know, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm gonna restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, I tell you what, today salvation has come to this house because he met Jesus and his life was changed. He started becoming a giver instead of a taker. Oh, and then it goes on to talk about the parable of the 10 minus. Hmm. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. He was near the cross. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, and he said, you know, a nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Hmm, wonder who this nobleman is. Perhaps King Jesus? So he went to the far country. He came to earth to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. We're in that period, folks, where we're waiting for his return. And what did he do? He called all of his servants. That's us. He called them all. And he said to them, verse 13, engage in business until I come. Engage in business until I come. That's my point this morning, friends. The way we prepare the way for King Jesus is to engage in business until he returns. It's what he wants us to do. But his citizens hated him. They sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And so he called them one by one to say, hey, what have you done? What have you done? This person said, well, you know, I, I got, you gave me this and I got this back. Awesome. You gave me this and this is what I did with it. Awesome. This is what you gave me and I did nothing with it. I hid it because I was afraid. Calls him a wicked servant. And then the fourth group are the ones that Jesus didn't give anything to, but they were his enemies who wanted nothing to do with his kingdom. And in verse 27, just before our text today, it says this, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, 
bring them here and slaughter them before me. Ouch. That's harsh. Friends, we need to wake up to the reality that people who have not heard and experienced the good news of Jesus Christ, that they want, that God wants them to be saved, are going to experience eternal life apart from him forever. That's the sobering reality of the message of Easter, but the hope that we have that as we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, he will save and he will give us our inheritance in his kingdom. Listen, Jesus will one day call us to account. Are we gonna exercise good stewardship of what he's given us, what he's called us to say and do? Are we gonna live in fear or worse yet, oppose the king and resist involvement in his kingdom? Don't resist. I hope that none of us walk out of here this morning considered enemies of God, but those who are citizens of the kingdom of God who faithfully engage in the work and the mission of King Jesus. Because there's only two options. There's no middle, ga- no middle ground at all. We either engage or we're enemies. So which one are you? Friends, there's opportunities all around us to pave the way for King Jesus for his return. Uh, there's going to be a slide on the screen here. Um, this is a, an initiative that um, I'm involved in. I've been asked by the Ministerial of Agassiz, Ministerial Association, together with the other five, four churches. There's five of us in town. Uh, together with Agassiz Harrison Community Services, Healthy, Living Com- uh, Healthy C- Communities Committee, Healthy Living Committee, Uh, together with Fraser Health, to begin to engage our community around the issue of opioid use and abuse. Uh, Friends, uh, Fraser Health and Community Service is coming to us. They're saying, help us. We need to engage our community because drug and alcohol abuse and homelessness and affordable housing is an issue And the University of Victoria is studying this and they've given us a grant for us to start doing some research and so you can be part of the research. So let's engage with our community. This is a way that we can pave the way for King Jesus to do greater work in our community. April 30th, it's a Tuesday night, 6 p.m., right here. It's gonna be some snacks, some refreshments, and we're gonna talk. We're gonna reduce some stigma. We're gonna gain some understanding. We're gonna begin to show compassion. We need to engage. Specifically, after this service, any person here who lives in Harrison are gonna have a meeting (laughs) with Pastor Ron and myself and Carla, wherever you are. Carla, there you are. We're gonna talk about a need, a very significant need in the community of Harrison and how we can pave the way for King Jesus to do some pretty awesome work over there. So we're going to talk about that right after the service. Doors are opening at Kent Elementary with their breakfast, backpack, and hot meal programs. But outside of these things, there's people on your street who need Jesus. There's people on your street who are lonely. There's people on your street who are hurting. Will you give of your possessions? Will you give 
your praise? Will you give your proclamation of this King Jesus? And will you be persistent in doing it? And when we think about what Jesus needs from us in order to prepare the way for others to experience his salvation, all we have to do is think first about what he did for us, what he gave for us, and it puts it all into perspective. Puts it all into perspective. He came riding on a colt, a borrowed baby donkey, on his way to eat his last supper in a borrowed room where he would make his way to a borrowed tomb. He emptied himself completely that we might be saved. And all he asks in return is what he gave us first. Our competencies, our colts, our cloaks, and the branches that he allows us to cut off of his trees. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word today and what it teaches us. And we do want to hail you as King Jesus and shout Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, our Savior, our King. Lord, help us to prepare the way in the best way that we can for a royal visit because we know that you're returning. And so as we anticipate your second coming, Lord, give us the ability, give us the strength to be able to be obedient to what you're asking us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.